Let's pray. Father, I just um, I just want you to be glorified tonight, Lord. As however you want to use me, I want to be used that way. Father, my heart is extremely passionate and it's really heavy right now. God, mostly because I just don't want to fail you. Lord, I just, I want your word to be the only thing that people hear tonight. And I want your word to affect so deeply in their hearts, Lord, they're just drawn to change. Well, change for you, not of obligation, but Lord, because they love you and they see your love for them. God, sometimes it's hard to see your good news. It's hard to see your love in, in some of your words. Lord, it's written all in them. And I pray that we would just be able to see them. Lord, I pray we'd open up our hearts, open up our minds, and let those who have ears open up their ears to listen. So, Lord, speak through me. Lord, give me the words. Take away any of myself. Take away any nerve. That doesn't have to do with trusting you. Notice in your name we pray. Amen. So in life, every decision that we make is extremely important. Because every decision we make influences our next decision that we make. Our life is connected day in and day out. This today will affect our decisions tomorrow. If I went out and bought a car today, tomorrow I would have to get a job that could afford that car. If I lied to my mom today, tomorrow when she asked me about what I did, I would have to tell her another lie so that I would be able to get out of that lie that I told in the first place. So our lives are connected and our decisions that we make today, any decision that we make will influence our decisions in the future. And so we've been in this series of dating because our decision of dating largely influences who we become. Other than our relationship with Jesus, the person we date or the person we marry has the biggest influence and is the most important relationship that we have. And if you... If you look at your, the, your life of dating, you look at who you're with, you, you spend all your time with that person, and that person knows you more deeply than the other person on this earth knows you. You know that other person more deeply than anybody else knows that person. That person ends up being your best friend eventually, the longer you spend with them. And your decisions start, start being about oh, can she or can he go with me, or how's it going to affect my significant other because it's not just you anymore, it's two people. And so why are we talking about it? Because the person you date, the person you end up marrying, will influence who you become. And so we talked about the first week who we're supposed to be, and for guys, it's supposed to be the living with sacrifice and loving your, loving your girlfriend or, or future wife and, and as she is your wife, you love her like Christ loved the church, and you sacrifice yourself for her. You die daily so that you can serve her, so you can be an earthly picture of what Jesus did on the cross. And so you don't live for yourself anymore. You live for Jesus, and you live to sacrifice yourself for your wife, and you show her that kind of love, the love that Jesus showed on the cross. And for girls who looked at Proverbs 31 and how we're supposed to, as a, as a woman, you're supposed to be a treasure. You're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be, uh, common. It's unique. You're, you're special. 
And so you, you fear the Lord, and that's why you are special, and you're diligent in the gifts that he gave you. You're diligent in serving your family. You're diligent in serving the poor. You're diligent in not thinking about yourself, not being a diva, not spending your money unwisely, but doing everything for the glory of God, doing everything so that you can submit to your husband so, who is leading you toward Christ, and you submit to Jesus with your entire life. And last week, Kenny brought an incredible message about modesty, and he just hounded the girls. It was terrible. If I was a girl, I would not have liked to have been here. I would have wanted to leave. But we talked about modesty and how girls or women, how you should view yourself, how you should have respect for yourself and how God made you and how you should cover yourself up in, in a godly way and you shouldn't make a brother stumble. And so for guys, we learned last week basically how to view a woman. And to not, to not look at her in that way, but, but girls, we can't, you can't claim ignorance anymore because you know that every guy, every day struggles with lustful temptations and lustful thoughts. So we learned last week about that, but guys, you're not off the hook. I'm sorry. I didn't do this on purpose because if it was up to me, I would not talk about anything guys did wrong because we're all perfect. But God just laid it on my heart, and this week we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 7, and since this passages specifically talking about men or about a young man. That's who we're going to be addressing, basically. But the cool thing about Proverbs is Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It's known as the book of wisdom. So when you're reading Proverbs, you're basically just trying to gain some wisdom. And all a proverb is, is a short, pithy saying that shows general truth or gives some advice. And see, the Proverbs that we see in our Bible are not the only Proverbs in the world. There's, there's all, all kinds of different Proverbs that people follow because it's good advice, or to some people it is. So, like, there's Chinese Proverbs, there's Japanese Proverbs that they follow over there in other countries, and there's just, it's just these things that are short, and so you can memorize them, and all these things. It's, it's good for advice, and a lot of people follow them, but the only ones that are from God are the ones that are in the Bible, and so the way we should look at it is, is God's giving us advice in short, practical ways, ways that stick out in our minds and ways that we can remember. And the, really, the thing that I like about Proverbs is, is that they're really short and you can memorize them. And so like not, not on purpose, you're not just like going there and you're just like, oh, I need to memorize that. No, it's like you read them and they just like, they stick out in your mind because they're so short and they're so, they're so meaningful. And they just, they say such strong things in such short words but they talk really specific examples, which is kind of weird because they're trying to show general truths. So it'll put a specific example out there, but when you look at that, you can apply it to your life. It's really applicable, and it shows a general truth. Oh, this is what this means. And so you can, you can read it, and you say, oh, I, I, I know that in my, in my life this fits in this area, and I, I can see you know, throughout my day all of a sudden something comes up, I was like, oh, I remember, I remember what Proverbs said about this specific thing. So anyways, that's just kind of a background on Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 7. I'm going to give me a drink of water. Probably didn't have to say that, but I feel like it makes a weird noise in the microphone. Anyways, so we're just going to go ahead and dive in to the Word. It says, follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard your instructions, guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them 
on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. So it starts off, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he starts off by saying, guard my commandments, keep my commandments, treasure my commandments, make them important, pay attention to my commandments because they're extremely important. And if you obey my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you will live. And so as he says, he says, guard my commandments as you would guard your eyes. Why is that important? Because with your eye, without your eyes, you wouldn't be able to see. And this is literally talking about the pupil of your eye, the apple of your eye. And so the, the whole function of your pupil is it dilates to let light in or keep light out. When it's really bright outside, your pupil is extremely small. When it's really dark outside, your pupils are extremely big. You just don't know because no one else can see it. But the whole point of a pupil is, is to let light in or out. And he's saying, guard your eye, guard my instructions like you would guard your own eyes. Because it's light. Light as in truth. Light as in this is going to light your way. This is going to lead you to life. So guard them. Because if, if if darkness is where you can't see. So guard my instructions like you would guard your own eyes because they're extremely important. If anything we do, we wear safety glasses, right? If, any, if anything's going to be dangerous, we wear some safety glasses, and then we're good. Everything else can get hurt, but you can't, can't replace your eyes. Your eyes, if, you're, if they're gone, you're gone. Then it says, it says, tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Why is that important? All three of these are important. Tie them on your fingers because your hands are your instruments of action. They're very accurate. You use your hands to do just about everything. If you reach out to grab something, it's very accurate. You, you want that thing, you reach out and you grab it. When it says tie them around your fingers, tie my instructions around your fingers, it's saying it's like binding your two front fingers together. And so when you reach out to grab something and you can't grab it normally, it's going to remind you. Automatically, you're going to think, oh, should I grab that or should I not? So if you're reaching out to sin in your life, you're reaching out to things you shouldn't be, you're going to have them on your fingers. You won't be able to grab it right, and you're going to be reminded of the instructions, reminded of the life that you're supposed to be living, and it's going to distract you when you look at your fingers, when you can't use them like you normally do. So it's binding them around your fingers. And it says, lastly, to put them deep in your heart. Probably the most important of the three. He's just setting us up. He's just telling us, you need to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. It says, put them deep in your heart. Make it the center of your affection. All of your affection, all of your love, onto my commandments. Keep them in your, in your heart. Let them be at home there. Don't just let them be a visitor. They're not here and then gone the next day. Let them come here and live. Let them make their residence here. Let them dwell in your heart. Let my commandments come in your heart and stay so they would be the sin of your affection. You're out of the overflow of your heart, your life happens. Let the overflow of your heart be my commandments. Love my commandments because they lead to life, not death. So then he goes on to say, love wisdom like a sister. Make insight a beloved member of your family. Let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman, from listening to the flattery of a promiscuous woman. So now we know what he's talking about. He's talking about a promiscuous woman who is immoral. So now we're going to get into the life of this immoral woman and see what she does. So like Solomon said, listen. This is Solomon speaking. He says, while I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, 
I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as, dark, as deep darkness fell. So first off, we have to point out something here. This young man is naive, and he lacks common sense. This is, this is a young man, obviously, he doesn't really care about a whole lot. He doesn't really, I mean, he's just kind of floating through life, drifting through life. And the first thing I want to talk to the young men about, or even if you're, you're a mature man, maybe we should listen to this too, that we first have to notice what he's doing and where he's walking. First off, he's walking by the immoral woman's house. And it's kind of obvious by the passage that King Solomon, he, he's looking out of his window, and he says he's walking by the immoral. She's not outside. This is just her house. And he notices that these young men are walking by her house. It's kind of obvious that the community probably knows where this woman lives. And so he's at the wrong place because he's lacking sense. He doesn't really care. It's not really important to him whether he walks by or whether he doesn't walk by. So he's at the wrong place. And then he's also there at the wrong time. This is not a wrong place, wrong time kind of incident. The guy knows where he's at, and he knows when he's doing it. He's knowledgeable about that. He just doesn't care. He lacks, common, he, he lacks a sense of knowing that this is wrong. He lacks a sense of knowing that this is going to lead him to a worse place. So it's at twilight. Nothing good happens after dark, obviously. Why? Because you're, you're not as well seen. Not, it's not as vulnerable when you're in the dark. And in the dark, after night, that's when all the parties happen, right? That's when you can get down. That's when you can hang. You look better in the dark, too, because you can't see all your flaws. So it's, darkness is just where you can go and hide. You're not visible to, like, you, you can go and no one's going to know you're out till 4 o'clock in the morning because everybody else is asleep, right? So you can hide in the dark. And when you're out in the dark with your friends like this guy was, he was with some young, naive men, and this particular man lacks common sense. So he's out there with a bunch of other dudes who are saying, oh, look, it's cool, we can be out at night, you know, we're all having fun. So it's easier to hang out with these people who are not doing good things at night because they're not doing good things, and everybody else at night is not doing good things either. So you feel, you feel you know, that camaraderie. You feel a, a community. It's like, I can do whatever I want to because everybody else is. This is fun, so I'm going to keep doing it. So what happens? We're going to see. He's at the wrong place at the wrong time, and he was not intentional about his godliness. So all of a sudden, it says, the woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. So what I wanted to point out about that guy is that he was not intentional about his godliness. See, the thing is, have you ever heard of someone drifting into sin or backsliding? You hear it quite often when people talk about their sin. They're like, you know, I, I'm just backsliding a little bit. I just kind of got away from reading my Bible, so I kind of drifted into some sin. Well, the thing you never hear is that someone drifted into godliness. 
Someone drifted into doing the right thing. Someone just kind of floated along in life, not really caring, not really thinking about what he or she is doing. And they all of a sudden woke up one day, and they're closer to the Lord than they ever have been. They wake up one day, and all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're not struggling with any temptation. They wake up one day, and they're strong. They're, they're not fighting anything because they, they're trusting the Lord. They're trusting the Lord. It's, it's strong, and it's not going anywhere. They're far away from the edge of sin. They're, if they get knocked down, they're going to get picked right back up because they're not following that. They're not following that lifestyle. They're strong. You don't hear anybody drifting into that. This man was not intentional about where he was going. He was not intentional about doing the right thing. And the thing I want to tell our young men specifically is that that's what we're called to. We're called to leadership. We're called to be different. And the thing is, is if you live this intentionally godly lifestyle, you will be different. You will be extremely different. In fact, no one's going to understand what you're doing. You make a decision about following after Christ, following after God. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and you jump on it. People are going to look at you like you're crazy. No matter how big or small, it's like, man, it's this dark outside. I'm, I'm, I might as well go home. I don't really want to walk by there. And instead, I'm going to take the longer route. How crazy they're going to look at you. Something so simple, they're going to look at you and be like, what is wrong with you? See, but the thing is, Francis Chan said this. He said, there's something wrong when your life makes sense to unbelievers. There's something wrong if your life makes sense to unbelievers. So think about your life. Think, are you leading the life you're supposed to? Are you leading a godly lifestyle? Are you intentionally seeking after God, being different, not caring what anybody else thinks because you love God more than you love other people's opinions about you? You love falling after Christ. That is what the affection of your heart is. Your affection of your heart is not to please other people. It's to please God. It's to love Him. It's not out of obligation. It's because you love God so much and because He loves you. That's why you follow him. And you intentionally lead that lifestyle so that other people can see that you love God and that, that he loves them. And if you're not living that way, it's hard for them to see God's love for them. And it's hard for, for them to see that you are God's child. Because you don't just drift into that. You have to put a little effort into it. And so she approaches him and it starts describing who she is. She comes out and she's dressed seductively. We kind of know a little bit about that from last week. She comes out and she's not covering herself up like she's supposed to. So he's automatically distracted by her. And then it starts describing her attitude. She's brash. She's rude. She's self-assertive. She's, she's putting herself on him, and she's not letting him get a chance to respond. She's, she's putting herself out there, and she's not giving him a choice about whether she's going to get her way. She's rude, and she's assertive, and she's brass, and she's rebellious. She's going to go against the grain of right, not go against the grain in the wrong way, but go against right and go toward wrong. She's rebellious. And she's soliciting herself at every corner. And she's never content to stay at home. Does that sound familiar? Just a little bit? See, this just describes her mode of operation. It describes who she is. 
It describes that she's never content. It describes that she's not satisfied with her lifestyle, so she jumps from place to place to place to place to keep her mind busy. And it's her mode of operation. She's going to this place because these people don't know her as well. And so she goes to this place. She goes to this guy. She goes to this guy to satisfy herself, to satisfy her desires. And obviously, this guy, she doesn't even know this guy. And she comes out, and she's, she's beginning to talk to him. And she's putting herself on him because he has no idea who she is. And she likes that because she doesn't want to be known. She goes from place to place to place to place. She's out in the open, so she's not known. But she's brash and rebellious, and she solicits herself at every corner. And all of a sudden, because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time, she threw her arms around him and kissed him. Uh-oh. Now we're talking. It's got dirty, all right? So this guy is walking by the house, and all of a sudden, I mean, just picture this. You have, you're just walking by a house, and all of a sudden someone comes out, and this is the kind of attitude they have, and they just throw their arms around you and kiss you. I mean, how weird is that? That's weird to me. I and mean, the story kind of makes it sound like it's kind of natural. I mean, not really, but it's, and just kind of throw it out there. She just throws her arms around him and kisses him. Guys, let me just tell you something. If a girl just comes up to you and kisses you, Run. Do not be with her. I'm just telling you. Do not, you need to run as fast as you possibly can. If you're on the first date and she just comes on, she just kisses you, you're with the wrong girl. You are. I'm telling you, there's no man on earth that can, on the first date, all of a sudden she kisses you. You will not be able to be in a long relationship, long-term relationship with that person and not struggle. Young men, it sounds good on the outside, but it's black. It's dead on the inside. You start your relationship out physical, it's just going to get more physical. Start your relationship out with a solid base. If it's in the first week, second week, and all of a sudden she's still coming on to you, still run. Run as fast as you can. If she's asserting herself to you and wanting you, run as fast as you can. I'm just saying. Just good advice from King Solomon here. And with a brazen look, saying she's bold and unashamed. She comes out here, she is confident. She said... I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. So she's religious. That's strange. Well, maybe, maybe, she's, maybe she's cool. Maybe, maybe I should date her. I don't know. So she, just, she comes to this guy. She kisses him. She, tries, she gets the hook, gets the hook in his lips. She's got him now. She says, I've just made my peace offerings. So automatically, we assume that she's in the upper class. And so she's making a peace offering. And what that, what that says is that she's going, she went to the temple and brought some type of animal. Didn't really look into this because it doesn't really matter at this point. So she, they burn the animal. And then they give special parts of it to the priest and the so-and-so and so-and-so is some type of ceremonial thing. 
And then she gets to keep the rest. She gets to keep, like, the butt and the, the hooves or something. I don't really know. So she's telling him, basically, you can come to my house and eat with me if you want to. We can have a nice romantic dinner. And she says she made her, her vows. And it sounds cool on the outside. Oh, she's religious. Not in a good way. She's following God's ceremonial law, but completely going against the grain of his moral law. What he says to do, she's living two lifestyles. And so, but he knows exactly what she's saying. What she's saying is, is that, you see, I got enough money to make this sacrifice. I got some food we can eat. And the thing is, is I don't need your money. What we're about to do, I don't want your money. I just want your company. Yep. That's what he wants. That's what she wants. So, so she just wants his company. Some random guy from the street. And she says, I don't need no money. We can go eat. And we're going to see what they're eating later. And it says, you're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. Oh, what a coincidence. I just came out, and look, there's my love. Love at first sight. She was looking for me. I didn't know I was looking for her. And, man, this, this is meant to be, right? And this, is just, this has got to be a sign. Like, this, like, she's coming on me. I feel a little weird right now. She. I don't know what she's doing. She kissed me, but this has got to be, it's meant to be, because she was looking for me. She doesn't even know who I am, and she found me. Well, let's get on the outside once again. But the thing is that she would have said that to anybody. It didn't matter who it was. It was just like a, it's like a trap. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm hunting, and whoever walks into my trap, yeah, I was looking for that. I was looking for that deer. I, I didn't know that deer. I didn't know that deer was out there. It just walked up into my way, and I'm, I'm going to kill it. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, if it was anybody, but she's talking to him. She's sweet-talking him. She's setting him up. So we're going to see what she says. It says, my bed, oh, my bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses. So all of a sudden, she invites him in for a dinner and completely changes the subject. I mean, dinner is not even on either one of their minds anymore. She starts talking about the bed and how she is just, just laughs at come. It's comfortable, and this is just luxurious, and it's full of lust. It's full of any type of pleasure. She's just setting up. She's She's just over-promising the whole deal. She's saying, look, this is what I've got, and this is what I have to offer you, and this is what I want. And so, basically, when she's talking about her Egyptian linens, it's a symbol. He knew exactly what she was talking about when she said Egyptian, because she's got stacks, all right? This stuff was expensive, and it was not durable, their Egyptian linens back then, it was very delicate, and it was, it was easily ripped. It was easily torn. But if you had it, 
Isn't that how all clothes always are? It's like the more expensive they are, like you can't even wash and dry them. It's like, what? I mean, I don't even want that anymore. I want something, I mean, T-shirts, $5. You can wash and dry it, and it's cool. But anyways, that's kind of how these sheets are. But in his mind, he knew what she was talking about. She was saying it's luxurious and full of lust. And that appealed to him because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong intentions. And the thing about it is, is that you don't have to look for opportunities to sin. If your mind is in the wrong place, if your mind is is following after other things other than God, I promise you, if you want to sin, you ain't got to look far. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to find you first and tempt you and draw you and lure you in, just like this woman is doing. He's sweet-talking. She's sweet-talking him. And he's getting lured in. He didn't have to look for that. He, he was in the wrong place. His mind, his heart was in the wrong place. It found him. And here goes a big twist to the story. Let's enjoy each other's caresses. For my husband is not home. What? The woman's married? I mean, what? I mean, come on, the dude, she just walked out and kissed the guy and starts talking to him. You would think she's just some single, like, I don't know, cougar. I mean, I don't know what she is. I mean, I'm thinking, like, the whole time I was reading it, I mean, I just came across this, this passage. I'm reading it. All of a sudden, I see she's got a husband. She comes out and says it. She doesn't even try to hide it from him. I, I don't know why she told him. It's like, my husband's gone. My husband's not here. I'm thinking, if I'm that dude, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Slow down. Pump the brakes. I don't want this dude beating me up. He don't, he don't care either. Neither one of them care. So she's married. She's married. That's, she's married. So he's away on a long trip. He has taken a wallet full of money with him. It won't return until later this month. They got plenty of time. They got plenty of time. They got plenty of time to take their fill of love and feel each other's caresses because he, the dude ain't going to be back until another full moon. You know what I'm saying? Like they got plenty. They, they could go all month if they wanted to and not get caught. That's what she's saying. But she's going to be somewhere else tomorrow with another man. And so the thing that I want to notice about this and point out is that they said, she said, let's drink our fill of love. Does that sound familiar? Just a tad bit. Y'all listen to the radio lately? Loving all night long? Any type of stuff like that? Any songs talking about sex? All 92% of all songs? Talking about making love? The thing is, that's, that's a complete lie. Love is not physical gratification. I was talking to my friend one time, and he calls me, man, I think I'm in love. She, she's awesome, and she, I, I can see myself marrying her. And I was like, well, that's, that's good, buddy. You know, that's, that's nice to hear. I don't even know the girl's name. Then he calls me about a month later. He's like, man, it's over, man. I, I don't know what happened. I just... We weren't good for each other anymore. 
I love her, dude. I, I want her back so bad. I, I just love her, and I, I miss her right now. We've been broken up for about a week, and I just I miss her. I want her back. And as gracefully as I could, I said, do you love her, or did you just have sex with her? See, it's a deception. Physical gratification is not love. It gives off the perception of love, and the whole world makes you think it's love. But sexual morality is not love. When you base your relationship off of physicality, it's shallow. You don't know the person. You know how you feel. You know that it feels good. But can I tell you something? Somebody else can offer you the same thing. That's why... That's why you can see guys with multiple girlfriends and not, not care about a single one of them because he's getting the same thing from every one of them. That's not all guys. I'm just saying it's an example. And that's why you, you see a, a relationship that starts out physical, never goes deep because all of a sudden they expect this person to always satisfy them. They expect this person to just give them pleasure all the time because that's the way it started out. It started out with butterflies. It started out with everything's about me. I'm getting everything I want right now. Everything's good. All of a sudden, you have to get to know the person, and it's a little bit tougher because the person you marry, young men and young women, will have things about them that you don't like. There will be things about them that get on your nerves. There will be things about you that really get on their nerves. There's going to be insecurities in relationships. Most of the time from past relationships. There's all kinds of things that go into a relationship. Things about you that, you that come to the surface because of that other person, the way that person is. There's going to be things that come to the surface like pride. There's been things that come to the surface like insecurities that have to be let out, that have to be communicated. Like Kenny said when we talked about dating a long time ago, you have to talk. It's not about making out and being sexually immoral. That's not what it's about. Your relationship will fail. Because that's not how God designed it. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught up in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your heart stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been in the ruin, she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. So at the very beginning, we talked about how we should keep, how we should keep his commandments. Solomon's. These are commandments from God. He's writing it because God's telling him to write this. We should keep his commandments because they lead to life. And all of a sudden, this guy, this, this guy without common sense, falls into this trap, this trap of sexual immorality. And it says he was like a stag, go, or like an ox going to the slaughter, like a stag caught in a trap waiting for the arrow to pierce his heart. And he said that her 
bedroom was a den of death. So my question is, is why is it that way? Why, why is it described this sexual morality, this sin as death, as, as a way of, of losing your life? Why? Because sexual immorality, sexual things have a tendency to overwhelm you. They have a tendency of grabbing all of your attention and not letting go. Once you begin that kind of lifestyle, it begins to be the only thing you think about. Why is that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'll read it up on the screen. Starting in verse 18, it says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual morality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So we wonder why those kind of things overwhelm us, those kind of things take over our thoughts, or those kind of things lead us into a lifestyle, and we're so blinded by it. It's because this sin, this is, there's no other sin that so clearly affects you. This sin affects you deep in your heart. Why? Because it's supposed to be God created to be for a husband and a wife, for one other person, not so that you can give some of yourself away to other people. Because it also says in this passage that if you have sexual relations with a prostitute, you become one with a prostitute. You become one flesh with whoever you are with. And a part of you if you have experienced this, you know that a part of you becomes part of them. And then a part of them becomes part of you, and you're one flesh. That's how God designed it. You're mingling your souls. That's the whole design of sex. It's not supposed to be a physical gratification alone. And so that's why it's like death, because he was in it for the wrong reasons. It was leading him away from God. It was just steering him in the wrong direction. God is over here toward purity and doing sex the right way, and he was being enticed the complete wrong way, and it so blinds you that you can't hardly see where you're at. You, you, finally, if you, if you ever realize it, you look around and say, how did I get here? How did I get so deep in this sin? How did it, how did it affect me so much? I never saw myself doing this. I always saw myself saving myself for marriage. Young men and women, I'm speaking to you. And so now I have a question of, where is the grace in this passage? Where is the good news? All right, Keith, are you just going to tell me not to have sex out of marriage? Are you just going to tell me some rules that I have to follow, that it's not good to do, it's not good? I heard that before. I heard that I'm not supposed to have sex out of marriage. I've heard it since I was a kid. I heard it even when I didn't even believe in the Bible. I heard those things. Are you just going to tell me not to do more things? Is this more things added to my list that I can't do because God told me not to do it? Is God taking fun away from me? Is God taking pleasure away from me? Is this even real? Is, this even, is he just telling me not to have sex because he just wants to be a controlling person? No. No, the truth of the matter is, 
is that God loves you. And if these commandments that he's given us are good news and life in itself, for the, the single fact of him being able to tell us this is not what you're supposed to do, he's guarding us from death. He's telling us this is the way to death. Don't go down that road. He didn't have to tell us not to do these things. He didn't have to, to protect us from these things, but that's what he's doing. And for those of you who have not done these things, young men and young women, for those of you who have, who have saved yourselves and, and you're continuing to for your future husband or your future wife, keep going. I encourage you to keep going. Just keep going. I'll be your biggest fan. I'll be right there behind you. I, if you begin to fall, I'll hold you up. I just, you can talk to me about anything. I'll be right there with you. Keep going. Keep going. Find encouragement to keep going everywhere you turn. If you see a distraction at school, turn away from it. Start thinking about something else. Listen to a song that points you to God. Go to God's word. Keep it in your heart. I encourage you to keep going because it will lead you to death. It will lead you away from God. It will lead you away from his love. It will lead you away from love, period, because that's not love. Keep going. Keep going. I encourage you, and I want you to. And when you get there, you will appreciate it. All, it'll all be worth it once you get there on your wedding night. You'll be able to tell your husband or tell your wife, I waited for you. I saved myself for you. Because you're the only person that I will ever be with. That's something to say. Not a prideful thing, but for your husband or for your wife, you want to be able to tell them that. You want to be able to give them that gift, that gift of purity. Because there are a lot of complications that come with not saving yourself. But there's more good news. Don't let everything I just said discourage you if you have fallen. Don't dwell on your sin. You know why? Because Jesus died for those who are impure physically and sexually. Specifically, there is a passage in the gospel. It talks about a woman who committed adultery, and Pharisees brought her, brought her up to Jesus and was like, she has committed adultery. So what should we do? The law says that we should stone her and kill her. So Jesus, what should we do with her? Trying to catch him off guard, he starts drawing in the sand. No one knows what he drew. But he says, you who have not sinned, throw the first stone. And one by one, they started walking away. And he asked her, he said, is there anybody here to condemn you? And she looks at him and says, no. He's like, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more, saying you're free from your sin. And he, he looks at her. I mean, for that kind of love, she's not ashamed anymore. She has committed this adulterous act. She was, she was brought before him, the king of all kings, the perfect one himself, love himself. You get, imagine the shame. And I imagine it's the same kind of shame you're feeling in your heart right now and you feel like giving up 
You feel like that you're not worthy of God's love. He died for you. He died for you. And guess what? That, that, that's not it. The, the fact that he loves you and the fact that he died for you and will forgive you of your sins, that's one thing. That is the best thing. That is enough. He has grace for you. But on top of that, he will restore you. On top of that, he'll heal your heart. He'll heal whatever relationship you're in. He'll heal your marriage when it has complications because of it. And you know what? He'll use it. He will use your mistakes for his glory and your good. That is crazy. That is insane that he would use the thing that you did, the mess up, the screw up that you are in the beginning. He uses it for your own good. And he uses it to save somebody else. So are you discouraged? Don't be discouraged. Because you know what? There's more people out there that haven't saved themselves than there are people who have. You know that they need to be reached. They need someone to tell them, hey, God loves you and it's okay. You might have messed up, but that's okay. It's okay now. Don't look back on your sin. Don't dwell on your sin. If you're constantly looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to wreck. Don't dwell on your sin. It's okay. You're forgiven and you're loved and you're restored. You can be encouraged. Don't, don't think that it's all over. Don't think that just because you did that, it, it's ruined, that you can't, you can't strive after God anymore. That's not true. That is not true. And you're, you're no less than the someone who has saved themselves. You are no less. You're no less important, and you're no less likely to get used by the Lord. In fact, I would say that you are more likely to be used because you can sense his love, you feel his love even more, and you're able to go out and be relatable to a lot more people. You can go out and tell people of your testimony. You can tell people of his love. So I'm telling you, if you're discouraged, please don't be. And I pray that you feel his love, and I pray that you're not discouraged by your sin. Because it's okay. It's okay. I promise it's okay. God's cross and the grace He has for you far exceeds any sin that you've ever committed. Far exceeds it. And it will overcome any obstacle that you have in your way. I promise. So tonight, whatever you're struggling with, if you're, if you're struggling with Wanting to know who you're going to date, come down here and pray. If you're struggling with forgiveness and forgiving yourself, even though God has already forgiven you, come down here and ask God to give you strength. If you're struggling with, a, with thoughts that you had today, with worries that you're going to have tomorrow, if you're struggling with anything, come down here and pray. I'm telling you, God wants to know. God cares for you, and God wants to be your strength. If anything is on your heart, I'm telling you, I, if your heart is burdened at all, sit in your seat and pray. Pray while you're standing up. Do something. Don't let these feelings, don't let the Holy, don't ignore the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore what God is trying to show you because he's trying to show you his love. He's trying to show you how awesome he is and how loved you are. He's trying to encourage you. He's trying to lift you up and show you how much you're worth. He was willing to go to the cross for you. That's how far he went. You were bought with a high price. That's how much you matter to him.
So remember that. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray for anybody in here, God, who's struggling with discouragement. Anybody in here, God, who doesn't want to face their sin, doesn't want to face their shame or the guilt that they feel from their past. Father, I, I pray that you would give them strength to go to you and be healed and be restored. Restore their purity, Lord. Their purity can be restored and they can be blameless in your sight and they can be used and their life can show other people your love. So Father, I, I pray for anybody in here that, that God, they're, they're looking for a spouse. Or God, they're struggling in their marriage. Lord, I, healing, God, that, that's what you do. That's what you do, God. You show us love even when we don't deserve it. You use our mistakes for our good. I don't know how you do that, but you do. Father, I pray you to speak to hearts. And I pray that your word would stick to their brain, stick to our brains throughout this week so that we would live for you. We would be intentional about living for you, Lord. We love you, God, and we're so thankful that you died for us, that you were willing to go that far just to show us you love us and you would forgive us. So your name we pray, amen.